This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 182 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Equestrian Collections and Charles Owen. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, happy Black Friday, everybody. We interrupt this regularly scheduled podcast with an important announcement from the Cheeky Merchandising Department of the Horse Radio Network. Just in time for the holiday buying blitz, the crack team of programmers at the Horse Radio Network have established an online shopping site. This site features merchandise shamelessly embellished with the familiar HRN microphone horse and other iconic characters from the Horse Radio Network shows. Fulfill the unrequited desires of your horse-addicted family, friends, and business acquaintances by procuring an assortment of t-shirts, polos, mugs, pencil holders, saddle pads, canvas totes, and other goodies. Go to horseradionetwork.com and shop today. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. I hope everyone's shopping right now and didn't eat too much yesterday. I, I, you know, I never, have you ever gone out? I don't think horse people do. Some people go to tax shops and things, but I don't think there's too many horse people that go sit at four o'clock in the morning at Walmart. Well, you know, Glenn, I don't know about you, but I, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. I love it. Um, It's just come get together, eat, be merry, no gifts. Uh, love it. So I have this thing. I, I will not go shopping on Thanksgiving Day. Um, but I did mistakenly go into town last year into Georgetown on Black Friday. And it was innocent. I had to go in. I had to get I had to get feed or cat food or something. And I happened to drive uh, by the Coles in Georgetown. <laughs> and I went in. Oh, no. You went I in? Did. I did win in, <laughs> and um, I will be honest. It was it was great. It was a great experience, actually. Uh, again, I you know Georgetown's a, a little suburb of Lexington, so it, it's like the hidden coals. And so there weren't a lot of people. There were great deals. So I I'm gonna go on Friday. I'm gonna go. <laughs> Yeah, going today, huh? Oh, I am. I am. Yeah, I am going. So uh, well, good I'm, luck I'm with looking. That. I'll let you know, everybody, how it goes. If there's a lot of people or a line, I'm going to drive right by. But I will get my Starbucks latte and go back to the farm and start riding. Oh, there you go. go. Well, good luck with that fun. Well, Philip obviously is off this week. He uh, had some lessons or something to do tonight because we had to record on a different night because of the holiday. And, of course, we're talking about Thanksgiving here in the United States. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody in the United States. Uh, uh, A day late, we were, you know... uh, it's Friday yeah. now, but uh, we hope you had a great time and you're having a great weekend, too. Absolutely. And enjoy the football. Are you going to watch any football, Glenn? Yeah, you know, we do watch some football. Yeah. And, and uh, also, uh, Jennifer likes the parades. So we, we uh, yep. end up watching some of the parades as well. Um, of course, everybody's favorite parade, though, is not on Thanksgiving. If you're a horse person, it's the Tournament of Roses parade on, on New Year's. Yeah. It's true. That is a nice That's the one parade. that has all the horses in it, so... Um, and every year on the Stable Scoop show, we get to interview the person in charge of the horses in the Tournament of Roses parade. So we, we always hear about the back, the back, uh, what happens behind the scenes of all of that. 
And it's wow. quite an undertaking because there's hundreds of horses oh, I, in it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And I have never heard that. So I'm going to have to listen this year because I would love that. I can oh, only yeah. imagine. It's very I interesting. Can, oh, I, I can I've only always wanted to my be my, on my bucket list is to be in the Tournament of Roses Parade. Really? Yeah, so it's on my bucket <gasps> Oh, list, I so. think we can work this. One of these days in oh, a carriage or something. I'm going to be in the tournament. Oh, I'm going to figure that out. <laughs> I want to come too. Okay. I want to come too. <laughs> Philip and I. <laughs> I think that's great. That's, well, what is on our... We're going to do a little bit of news, but then we have some guests. What's coming up? We do. We have a great group of guests. And actually, um, today's uh, we are having a sports psychologist, Dr. Timmy Pollock, is going to come on. And uh, this was uh, one of our listeners wrote in and, and really wanted to hear a uh, sports psychologist. So I found one. Uh, Philip and I found one. And, and we're looking forward to talking with her. She's got some great insight. And um, she really, I mean, we just, just tip of the iceberg type of thing. So I look forward to having her on again. And I hope everyone enjoys her. And uh, we have our helmet giving the gift of safety. Um, and then we have our Nita Trainer Tip of the Month, Claudia Tarlow. Um, she's great. And she's going to talk about some other ways to get information other than during your writing lesson. So great show today. Very good. Well, let's get started right away with the third in the series of our, our helmet holiday helmet series. And this is done in conjunction with Charles Owen and RidersForHelmets.com. And I will... I'm going to give a little sneak preview here, and, and I did not have not said this on any other show, actually. But uh, we are the, in the last part of this series, and, and in the sixth part, uh, we are going to be speaking with the person who really was the inspiration for doing all of this, and that's Courtney King Die. So Courtney's going to come on with us on, in the sixth uh, part of this series coming up in a couple of weeks. So we're looking to speaking with her again as well. But uh, let's listen to uh, this third part. And I talked to Roy from Charles Owen about the standards, you know, those, those, all those letters in the helmet. What do they mean? So we're going to find out about that right now. Glenda Geek here, founder of the Horse Radio Network. We are excited to bring you a special holiday helmet mini-series, giving the gift of safety, purchasing a helmet for your loved ones at Christmas. In cooperation with Charles Owen and Riders for Helmets, we have created this six-part mini-series to highlight some amazing real-life stories and some tips on buying helmets as gifts. Today we have Roy from Charles Owens back with us to talk about what all those symbols and certifications mean in your helmets so roy there are a a lot as we said there are a lot of uh symbols and numbers and things there's a lot of standards and certifications what do i need to know as a person going to buy a helmet what do i need to look for inside the helmet to make sure i'm getting one that's safe for my head for riding my horse or driving my horse well the a lot of people just want to look, just tell me the symbol I need to have inside the helmet because there's got to be one standard that's best, that that is the super standard. Right. Now, the thing about standards is standards represent accidents. And if you go for the, the standard that is the toughest, then that's great if you have that tough accident. But if you're falling on, if you fall onto a sand surface, uh, uh, one of these riding arenas, then that may not actually give you the best protection for that type of accident. So the best thing to do is to look for as many standards as you can do because each standard 
test for a different set of accidents. Uh, And that's going to give you the biggest range of protection. Rather than looking for the, the one with the ultimate, and I mean, we've just produced one for those people that are concerned about that horrible accident, the rotational fall. And we've just produced one with four safety standards in. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the safest helmet because obviously the the safest helmet is the one that fits your head. But if you're not going to have that accident and you're not concerned, you know, you don't see yourself particularly at risk from those extreme accidents, you don't need to have that level of safety. You want the, the, the standard that's going to give you the right protection. Now, of course, alongside standards is, is the, the guarantees that you're going to get from um, having other marks from independent testing bodies, things like the SEI mark and the CE mark. And there's a funny heart-shaped symbol, which is the British Safety uh, Institute. They, they do independent testing on the products. And it's those marks that really give you that uh, sense of security that you're not just relying on the manufacturer saying this is a great product. But these certification marks are saying somebody else is standing up and willing to put their logo on this product to say, we would recommend you buying this helmet. Well, the one one symbol that I see the most here in the United States, and that I think everybody's familiar with, because it 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 says it on your horse show applications and things, is SEI. It has to have the SEI uh, uh, stamp on on the inside. Tell us about that. Well, that's correct. I mean, the SEI is the minimum requirement for by the USCF and various horse show organizations and various barns because they want you to have a minimum level of safety. But of course, if you're buying the gift of safety for somebody else, somebody who you really care for, are you really just going to be looking for the minimum? Um, and this is where you can start to look at multiple standards and multiple certifications because with that extra level of um, scrutiny and uh, each person looking for something slightly different, the more, the more safety marks and the more safety certifications you can have on a product, you're not buying somebody just the minimum level of safety. You're buying somebody the best safety you can have. And it's quite common, you know, people kind of spend scrimp and save on trying to uh, feed their horse and they'll often go along and say, oh, well, you know, I just get something that's going to, you know, that looks like it's going to save my head and I'll just put that on. But then when you're giving a gift, this is an opportunity where you can say, do you know what? I actually care about you so much that I think you want something above the basic. And that's where you're looking for this extra certification. And Charles Owen helmets have that. Oh, uh, Charles Owen have a whole range. We we have some introductory helmets which uh, have two safety standards on. The majority of them are three safety standards, and we have just launched for the person that's really scared of that rotational fall a four safety standard with four certifications. Well, Roy, when I used to have our own store and we used to be fitting helmets for people, one of the questions we used to get all the time was, if I buy the more expensive helmet, is that the safer helmet? Well, not necessarily, 
because the cost of producing a helmet sometimes is in the design and style, maybe the fabrics that are used, and maybe you're just wanting a helmet with a very complex, very lightweight style, and that all adds to the cost. And, of course, there are some people out there that feel that people who want to buy the best will expect that by paying a high price, they will get the best. But that isn't necessarily always the case. Um, when we're looking for a helmet, you know, and, and really we do some introductory helmets that have a huge amount of safety built in because we do care, take care of the new riders that come into our community that perhaps don't want to spend a huge amount of money and by removing pieces of leather and going down to nylon straps, you can really pare back the cost of manufacture of a helmet without necessarily affecting the cost. So standards are a great way to look at it and you'll be surprised that sometimes the highest price helmet isn't necessarily the one with the most safety standards. Well, this has been very interesting. You know, we're, we're continuing this series in the next part where we talk about how a safe functional helmet can also look stylish. You and I have attended a few helmet symposiums together, and one of the things for helmet adoption that we discussed to, to increase helmet adoption was that they have to be stylish. So that's what we're going to talk about the next time. I look forward to it. Thank you to Riders for Helmets for everything they do for helmet awareness and safety. You can visit them at ridersforthenumber4helmets.com. And thank you to Charles Owen. You can visit them at charlesowen.co.uk. So, Glenn, we have a little bit of news this week. Um, there's a new website that I thought everybody would enjoy hearing about. It's called MyDressageStats.com, a new tool to help dressage riders improve their scores. Um, so this is a new way. It's a new way for breeders, owners, trainers, and riders to track show scores, as well as to create their own online space in which to save and store all their essential information. So... It's very interesting. I have not had a lot of time to jump on and, and see how it's going to work. Uh, but if somebody does, please write in and let us know if it, it's helpful. Um, but I think it's a really interesting concept because we certainly uh, – y- you can really look at your tests. Uh, and we do try to do that, Glenn, every time uh, or over the show season and track you know, how have our extensions, for example, gotten better over time or maybe they've gotten worse. So you can really get into the numbers. So I think this is an interesting uh, an interesting way to look at it. Well, yeah, and if, if this actually does that for you and, and can plot <laughs> it out and chart it out over a period of time, that would be very helpful. Yeah, uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it saves you, you know, having to start an Excel file and do it yourself, which I guarantee you 90% of people don't do. Yeah, yeah so. I don't do that. But <laughs> I think that, that this could this could potentially be a really good good tool for us. I did do that a little bit uh, when I show, was, was showing Casper internationally. We would sit down and kind of track it a little bit um, and see how the movements progressed over, over time. But uh, that was just in one particular case. I've not done it on any other horse, I have to be honest. So well, it would be uh, interesting too. Maybe we can get them on the show here sometime. Yeah. We, can, we can ask them all the questions about about what exactly it does and doesn't do. I love it. Uh, yeah. I love it. 
right, well, on this, yeah, on this week's show, uh, we have Dr. Timmy Pollock. She is a psychologist, and she also works extensively with riders. She she is a sports psychologist as well, and she has some great insight on uh, competition and daily riding. Dr. Pollock, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. Thank you. Yes, I'm really um, looking forward to chatting with you. We were just chatting off off the air that um, in 2009-2010, um, being on the USET uh, US long list, I had a sports psychologist. So I am a, a firm believer in, in what you do. But talk to us a little kind of sports psychology 101. Okay. Um, well, sports psychology is actually just the study of ways to use your mind to improve your performance in whatever you're doing. And what we tend to do is focus on teaching skills. So there's, there are five basic skills. Some people say six, but I usually focus on five. And then it's learning ways to apply those skills to whatever you have going on, whether you're, you're trying to learn something new, whether you're trying to figure out why you're stuck in a certain way, um, and then how to just get the best out of yourself that you can possibly get for competition. Wonderful. So for a lot of um, our listeners, um, there are a lot of adult amateurs. So mm-hmm. how would this, how would kind of just sports psychology relate to every rider? Well, typically what I get with amateur riders is anything from wanting to improve their performance in the show ring, which is probably the most common request I have, to uh, the second most common is people, especially amateur riders, will have a fall and get a little shaken up or afraid even of um, riding for a while and so there's a lot of techniques for helping people get through fears and move on and get back to where they wherever they left off and keep going so that's the main reason and then people now amateurs more and more just they really are competitive and they really want to do well they're spending a, a lot of money putting in a lot of time and if they're going to actually compete they want to do the best they can possibly do And that's where sports psychology can really help them um, improve their performance. And part of what I teach is the primary thing that sports psychology will do for you is shorten the length of time it takes you to become proficient at something. And as we all know, writing is pretty challenging. And it takes a lot of hours to become really good. And we don't want to waste any of those hours in the saddle if we can possibly um, keep from doing that. And so the techniques of sports psychology help us to get the most out of the time we do ride and to get through blocks or problems as fast as possible. I have a question. Now, you, when, I used to uh, play and coach tennis for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, we, you know, in tennis, it, uh, there were many books written that said that tennis is 80% mental and only 20% physical. Right. And, you know, I, I was trying to correlate that to riding as you were talking. You know, how, how much of, of riding and competing in, in the ridden sport do you think is, is mental? What they actually talk about in sports psychology is it's, that's not um, the 80-20 percentages there are a little bit um, not quite accurate. Okay. What it is is at the top levels of any sport – at that point, what's going to make the difference between the person who wins and the person who doesn't is how well they handle their game mentally. And so they've kind of come up with this number of at 80%, 20%, 20% physical. But at the top level, everybody's good physically. Right. Everybody's got it. So what makes the difference? And it's, it's how does someone 
stay mentally tough through competition? How do they bounce back from setbacks? And how do they very often stay very focused when at the high level they're often dealing with things like media and a lot of distractions? So um, the people who are really sharp with their mental skills and know how to stay focused and know what that's all about usually pull it off much better than someone who's been a little loose in their mental preparation. And does throwing the horse into the mix, like other sports, we don't have you don't have that issue. I mean, the ball is the ball. Um, when you throw the horse mm-hmm. into the mix, does th- that even makes it more complicated mentally, doesn't it? It gives you oh, more and, to uh, focus on. Yes, in so many different ways. I actually Lisa's give a talk laughing. I'm <laughs> yeah. yeah, she knows. Yeah, we're all laughing. <laughs> yeah, I actually gave a presentation to the sports psychology groups on working with the equestrian athlete. And I use a comparison that it's like if you're playing tennis and suddenly your tennis racket sees something on the sidelines and goes flying out of your hand just as you're going to take a shot. Or if you're mm-hmm. figure skating and you're setting up for a jump and suddenly your skates go flying sideways at 50 miles an hour. <laughs> That's sort of what we're dealing with with the horses. There's always that unpredictable piece. And then there's always... There's a really interesting thing, though, on top of that. There are all those things that come with the fact we're dealing with a live creature who has a mind of their own, and they have their off days and on days, just like we do. But one of the things we're finding out, I had mentioned one of the things I work with is biofeedback. And one of those types of biofeedback is neurofeedback, which is looking at what the brain is actually doing while we're doing our sport or where we may have some things that aren't working quite right, we can actually correct them with biofeedback. But there have actually been some studies done where they used a telemetric unit to watch the brain waves of a horse and the brain waves of a rider while they're, the rider's riding the horse. And the thing that happens that's absolutely fascinating is a thing called entrainment, where the two brains start to look similar pretty quickly. And they're beginning to think that's why, like we say, horses know when you're afraid and all that. It's probably more basic than that, that their brains are picking up what our brains are doing. They're in training, and they're actually feeling fear, too. If our brain is in fear, theirs goes into fear also. And so there's just some new little twists coming up uh, through some of the research being done that we're finding out. It's not a tennis racket. It's far from that. (laughs) And uh, there's just all these other factors coming in here, like, which brain matches which one? Does the rider's brain become like the horse's? Does the horse's become like the rider? And they're actually seeing a few things with some of the work they're doing with that, that it's, it's not one directional. It can be either way. Interesting. So, so there's a lot going and, on and there. To, and Dr. Dr. Polk, you're also, you, you kind of touched on, you know, performance improvement and competition. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you start, you know, how do you start working with a rider to do that? Okay. If I have someone come in the office and that's what they're looking for, the first thing I do is get a, do a good assessment of where are they, where are they now, what, are, um, what have they been doing, how long have they been riding, what kind of riding, uh, what level, what challenges they've typically had in their riding in general, and then lately with their competition, is there any one issue that's coming up? And the most common is just getting too nervous and not being able yes. to stay focused because they're too nervous. And with that one, I usually use, again, I'll go through some of the mental skills with them. And typically when someone comes to the office, I focus on the skills that I think are going to be the most helpful in the moment. And for something like nervousness, I found we were originally taught deep belly breathing where you just really learn to slow your breathing and breathe very, very deeply. 
and you'll become relaxed. Well, kind of the funny things happened. There are a number of people, and I was one of them. When I would be in competition and I'd try to do this deep breathing, I'd feel like I was suffocating. It didn't work. So what I use now is there's a piece of biofeedback equipment called the M-Wave. And basically, there's a couple of them out there, and they're, they're um, heart rate variability measures. And what that is is a measurement of relaxation. If your heart rate variability, what that means is when you're, you're relaxed and you inhale, your heart will speed up very, very slightly. When you exhale, your heart slows down very, very slightly. And so that's how we can tell if a person's relaxed or not. So with this piece of biofeedback equipment, it's very tiny. It's about the size of a... Uh, cell phone, the person can actually practice relaxing in different situations, including on the horse. There's an ear clip they can actually ride with it on. And so I teach them to relax using this piece of equipment because it tells them if they're truly relaxed or not. They will know when they're doing it right. And so I almost always give people one of those and have them train with it and maybe even buy one for themselves. I'm not sure that would work for me. I think I'd be stressed just knowing it was there and, and be worried about <laughs> relaxing. I'd be stressed out, worried about relaxing. <laughs> right. Oh, Glenn. Well, you, <laughs> you need <laughs> lots, of, lots of sessions. <laughs> right, right. Well, what you would do is you wouldn't just use it in competition. You'd practice with it at home first. Okay. Right. Until you got to where you knew what it felt like to be in that relaxed state. You knew how you had to breathe to reach that point. And then you can recreate it anywhere, even without the equipment. And so in between a point and tennis, you might just take a few moments and, and put yourself in that state of mind, do a little bit of the breathing that you know would work, and it would probably calm your system down quite a bit. And that's what we do with the riders, too. Another one I heard, too, and, and uh, uh, that, that uh, I've heard in the past that really works for people is singing, actually. Yes, Yes, or humming. Yeah. Because it actually, well, one of the things we know from the biofeedback work with the brain, it activates the, the right posterior part of the brain, which is very relaxing. And so humming or singing, uh, but humming particularly because you're not using words, it activates and relaxes your whole system. And you pick a song or a tune that, uh, that, that is your relax. All of us have the ones that just mellow us out instantly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's... One of the other things I'll have writers do is, is if they like music or feel like it's helpful to them, I have them go home and go through all their music and find some songs that either relax them for that or energize them if they need a little of that just before they go in the ring. Some people actually need energizing. They go flat rather than get too excited. So we'll work with music. I'm sure you saw with the Olympics with Michael Phelps. Yep. Every time he'd swim, he'd have headphones on when he'd come so out. So the minute he, he got in a pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And he was, I don't know exactly what he was listening to, but it was either some sort of... Um, well, with Michael Phelps, it could have been anything. <laughs> it could yeah. It could have been. But it helped him focus because he, he couldn't really hear what was going on around him, and he could just get into his space whatever way worked for him and just stay there until just before he swam. Which are you, Reese? Are you the are you the re, need relaxation or need an upper at right before? No, uh, I, I, everybody knows me a little better now. No need for an upper. That's <laughs> for, no, um, I used to get so nervous though. I think when I kind of changed into the young rider ranks, and then I kind of felt like oh, that that things got even more um, important in my riding career. I really went through a period of time. I would get so nervous. I would ride around the ring, and I couldn't feel my feet. Like, I just couldn't feel my legs. I would get yes. so nervous. I've heard so that from I've a number of people. 
Yeah. Oh, it was awful. So, um, one of the things that, and and for me, you know, working when I worked with, with, uh, the sports psychologist that I worked with, you know, I really, for me, it's having a really good, but also how do you plan, uh, like you were saying, if the horse, uh, you know, something happens, something, things happen. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, I, I was very much a plan kind of girl. You know, I know at, now an hour out from my ride, even, even if it's a young horse, an hour out, I have to focus on that horse. I can't do anything else and can't have a lot of activity around me before I go in. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I go around the ring, um, I, I have to wiggle my toes. I learned that just wiggle my toes and, and once uh-huh. I can get that feeling, I'm good. So, you know, I've had to learn over time, you know, just, just how my system works. And, um, I think everyone is different and, and you really do have to work at it. Yes, exactly. And that's where with each individual rider, it can be completely different what works. And so I may use a different set of the mental skills with each rider. Um, And it's a matter of a little bit of trial and error. And I always have the riders keep a journal, keep a log of what they do, what they try, how it works. And um, they come up with their own plan and their own routine that will work for them both to bring their focus in so they're really where they need to be for the competition and to be in the right amount of relaxation or stimulation, whatever it is they need for the competition. But so part of it is, first of all, even becoming aware of what do you need and what's going to work for you and then having a plan. You know, I'm using that plan. I think too, nervousness is one thing, but you you were talking about focus and, you know, I have severe ADD and I'm not the only (laughs) one out there that has that. But even when I was competing and doing things like that, my mind still would, I had to really, really work on focusing. Um, Is that a common or am I the exception to the rule? Uh, No, you're not an exception. And a disproportionate amount of riders or actually athletes in general do have ADD. Yeah, because we're type A, you know, uh, fires, you know, Mm -hmm. in the the Chinese (laughs) scale, you know. Yeah, and part of it is is when you're in competition, you're really kind of stimulated and more excited, more aroused, and that actually makes a person's brain who has ADD come online and work better because ADD is a slow brain. Right. So when you get really stirred up, it'll actually start to work for you. So a lot of athletes love that feeling if they have ADD because it makes their brain actually work better. Well, and you, what happens, though, is if you get really to the point of, of, of unconscious competence, um, uh-huh. that's when your brain then starts to, to uh, wander a bit, when you get really, really good at something. Uh-huh. Uh, and right. you, have to, you have to concentrate and focus on it you know, less than, than in your training stage. Uh, you start to get in trouble again. Right. And tennis is extra tough for that. Because well, I'm not have... even just talking tennis. I'm talking riding, you know, to get to the point where you're comfortable with your horse and everything's comfortable again, uh-huh. where you get through those learning stages to the point where you're unconsciously competent um, mm-hmm. is the point where you can get in trouble again at the higher you levels. Can, yeah. if you can, if you become kind of complacent yeah. and uh, don't, don't really focus on it. One of the things I do with dressage riders, it's something I started doing uh, a couple of years ago with some of the young riders I was working with, because kids tend to get a little distracted, yes. too. Yeah. Yes. And so we came up with a technique. And they're not unconsciously competent yet. <laughs> no, no, they're just drifty. No. <laughs> Especially some of the uh, teenage girls. <laughs> they're yes. just sort of thinking about Welcome to things. my world. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to my You're world. Teaching them. Yeah. So I, we came up, I worked with this one girl, um, and we came up with a technique that I now call scripting, where I have them actually write out their test. 
and write out the instructions to themselves of what they need to think about with each movement. And then I have them take those instructions, and, and hopefully they're short enough, and I, we work on making it very brief, maybe just a few cue words to remind them of what they're thinking. Um, and I have them record it in about the same time frame it would take to ride the test. And then I have them take that recording and use that to do their visualization or imagery too, so that they can they hear their voice walking them through the test over and over and over. And that's in part because as long as you're thinking about what you need to do, you're not thinking about what's going on over in the ring next to you or what you're going to need to cook dinner tonight or you know, your, your mind can't drift to something else as easily. If you have this prepared script and you've written it, you've practiced it in your head, the second way to do that would be to have your trainer actually record um, their instructions to you riding through a test and then practice your visualization listening to that recording. And what the feedback I get from riders who use this is they say it's like everything else disappears and they just they have their script and it just runs through their head at the appropriate time and they just do what they need to do. And so it helps with focus, it helps to limit distractions, and it gives them something to think about um, and keeps them off of a lot of the negative self-talk. If there's a mistake, they, they make an error or something, they don't go for the next three minutes think about how bad that was. They get right back on task and to the next instructional set for the next movement. So that's one of the little things I, I love doing with riders in competition because it is seeming to be pretty effective for most people. And I love that idea of scripting. That That is actually something that I used a lot. And, and I knew exactly where in the Grand Prix I needed to be or where in my freestyle I needed to be. And, yeah. you know, we even would come up with if, if, if something happens, you know, how do I get back to that spot or what is a spot I need to be where? And mm-hmm. that was so very, very helpful. And yeah. you do. You run through that script so many times in your mind and, the, and you're able uh, because, again, I went through that period of time, too. I, I remember tests where I was thinking about, yeah, what I was going to do in, that evening or, or whatever. Yeah. And, and you're like, whoa, 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 you need to not be doing that. So, and that was when I was a young rider. I will, I will say that. Um, so you, you have to go through those times in your life and you, you have to, in, in, in your riding career. And I think as you get more experience and you do it more often and you're, you're, you know what zone and how to get to that zone, it, it goes so much better. Yeah. So I love that idea. And I love also the idea of you need to practice this at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds sounds so easy, <laughs> sounds so logical, but um, that is something I found in my own training and 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 riding. You know, I'll I'll train people at a clinic that if they don't ride through their tests before the horse show, uh-huh. um, and and it's like, well, how 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 does that happen? You can't you visualize. You can't. You can't. Yeah, because you can't come up with a way. You don't know where in the test you could have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and their mental prep. You, there's no way they can be prepping mentally at no. that stage. No, no. And so, and the difference I see between people who really put the time in and mentally prepare, they're just more consistently right on. You know, they may people who don't do a lot of mental preparation may have some really good rides, but not as not as frequently as the ones who have just really worked at it. So, Dr. Pollock, can you talk a little bit about what you you talk with riders about doing in their daily training? Okay, the number one thing I have people do is what are called daily goals or process goals. Most of the time, as riders, we get on, we warm up the horse, we kind of think through what we're going to do and almost wing it. 
we have an idea, but it, it's sort of like what we feel like doing in the moment. What um, a lot of the research in sports psychology has shown, and at the U.S. Olympic uh, training centers, they require that the athletes keep written journals of what they do every day. And so with the riders, I'll have them start with a plan. You can change the plan if you get on the horse and something's a little different. But And to write it down, what are you going to do today? And then the second thing you do is after your ride, get off and write what you do, how to go, and any thoughts for what you want to pick up and work on tomorrow. And then the next day, you pick up your notes and remind yourself what you did the day before and what you were thinking about and what you want to do the next that day on your ride. And so you end up with this consistency. You aren't just doing hit or miss, doing a little of this, a little of that. You're very, very clear about what you're working on, especially if you take a lesson. I want the riders to actually write down what they learned after the lesson. As soon as they can, just go sit down with their notes and write down what they just learned like two, three things, four things, and then review that before they ride the next time. Because, again, the studies have shown that if you don't do that, more than half of what you learned will be lost. And so this is another way to really increase or actually decrease the amount of time it takes and increase the learning speed because you just you don't lose that information. You, you've got it right there in front of you in writing. And these are called, they're actually process goals or daily goals where you write down, here's what I'm going to do. And then you get on the horse, do what you were going to do. And you write down, here's what I did. Here's what I tried. Here's how it worked. Here's my thinking. And here's what I think I want to do tomorrow. And then you just keep that consistency going from day to day. The other thing, so that's probably the biggest habit I teach riders to get into and then the other thing that sports psychology is really good for is if you're trying to learn a new skill and you kind of know what you're trying to do and your instructors taught you these are the aids and this is how you approach it, you can actually, there's actually absolutely nothing to be lost by sitting down and spending an hour or more a day if you've got it imagining what that new movement's going to feel like. And practicing, my legs go here, I do this with my hands, my seat is here, my weight is here. And the more you practice, because with visualization or imagery, what they found is it can actually cut the length of time it takes you to learn a new motor skill in half. And the brain doesn't know this, the difference between something you vividly imagine and something you actually do. So it actually thinks you've done 50 pirouettes the day before. or And so you get on the horse and things just work that much better. It's like you've been practicing. And you can only put so many hours in on the horse's back. So if you can actually boost the number of times you, you ride something through your imagery or your visualization, um, first of all, most of us can't be on a horse for 50 hours a week. Um, so we can do it in our minds. And it really does make a difference. I love that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's I think that's such a great way and also something same technique, you know, do it in your mind, do it in your mind and then you kind of can get your inside seat bone down or get your leg where it needs to go. So, um I think that was that was super. Um right. and you're also a rider. Am I yes. correct? That's what makes yes, you sure unique. Am. 
<laughs> yes. And you're one of the only, uh, you know, psychologists, sports psychologists that, that are riders and breeders as well. So, um, mm-hmm. that is so, that is so helpful on many, many levels. Oh, so how can we, yeah, yeah it, unless you do it and really sit in the saddle, it's very hard to explain, um, to someone exactly what it's like. So, mm-hmm. um, how would we find you online if someone was looking for you online? You know, I this is really bad, but I don't have a website of my very own for my business is called Equa Excellence. And um what I I am under my general practice, I'll show up as lahoyaneuro.com. It's L A N E U R O um L A J O L A J O L L A N E U R O.com. Lahoya Neuro for the La Jolla Neurofeedback. And there's information there about sports psychology. But I am working on a website for sports <laughs> psychology alone. Well, we'll, oh. well, we will keep But keep you our, have Twitter. I do have Twitter. I am on LinkedIn. Yeah, and we'll post um, uh, links to all of your, your, uh, your Twitter account and, and all of that on our we- website, too. So. Okay, that would be yeah. great. Thanks. Yeah, great. and the website will be equaexcellence.com. I do have the URL. And it should Great. be up by the first of the year. So, Well, thank you so very much. That was so helpful. And if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to have you come back on maybe another time and talk about uh, fear, how to conquer fear. That would you be know, excellent. That would be wonderful. Fear is a whole topic of its own. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. Right after this word from Equestrian Collections, we are going to have our NIDA, New England Dressage Association, trainer tip of the month from Claudia Tarlove um, of Turtle Hollow Farm in Vero Beach and also in Connecticut. Hi, Glenn here from the Horse Radio Network, and I am with Debbie from Equestrian Collections with Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. This week, I'm going to be featuring the MDC Super Sports Stirrup. They actually come in two styles, but basically the thing that sets these apart are the footbed. A lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with the NBC stirrup line because they're really top-of-the-line stirrups. They're the ones that have the little turny thing at the top where you can put your feet at any angle for comfort and to make your feet more correct in the stirrup. But this new one has a very wide base with non-stick aluminum padding. That base is about two and a half to three inches wide. And when you put your foot in that stirrup, you are secure. Your foot doesn't slip. You won't feel like your foot is going to slip. You really feel secure. It's great for fox hunters. Uh, Particularly, we were thinking fox hunters would love these because there's lots of good stability. And also, they come in with a flex side, the flexible hinge, which you can move your foot back and forth and you can feel that. Or they come in the more traditional one without that flexible hinge for those who want a more traditional look like in the show ring. But if you're the jumpers, the fox hunters, anybody, beginners, anybody that wants a really solid feel should get these stirrups. Um, We've had trainers that got on uh, my friend's horse who has this stirrup and she said, oh my God. Where did you get these? Because they feel so good. Now, they're not inexpensive. The, uh, the ones with the flexible hinges are $200, $199.95. So they are for the serious rider. But I highly recommend them, really. The minute you put your foot in them, you're going to feel 
completely different well, and a lot more secure. Well, and the other thing about MDC is it's top quality stuff. This is this is the good stuff. This is uh, made to last, and it will last. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Anybody that even has also has any kind of knee or leg issues, um, they'll find right. that these will help alleviate some of that as well. And of course, this is the MDC Super Sport stirrups and MDC other stirrups on there as well at EquestrianCollections.com. Just search for MD as in dog, C as in Charlie. And I also want to mention trail riders. They are great for riding on hilly trails too for that secure feel. Especially with the wider foot base, that would be exactly. NBC Super Sport Stirrups at EquestrianCollections.com. Claudia, thanks so much for coming on the show this evening. My pleasure. So you are our Nita Trainer Tip of the Month. And um, Claudia, what do you want to give us a tip on tonight? Well, I think all riders, especially the more experience we have, we gather information from a variety of sources. We think of our training frequently from the standpoint of a, of a lesson um, on a, our horse. Um, but for many riders, they've had to come in to the sport through a variety of directions. And so most of us are, the riders we are, based on all of our riding experiences outside of our lessons as well. Um, some riders, for a variety of reasons, are limited in to, to how much they can train on a horse and to advance their, their understanding and riding skills. And they've had to find alternate ways of training. Um, a lot of this has to do with people who work on, in full-time jobs or raising families, um, have, to, have to take off time for education. Um, and so they have to think outside the lesson box and I was fortunate to learn from every opportunity I had while I raised a family, when I had a full-time job. And um, as much as learning from every opportunity, I also had to learn from every mistake I made. But um, from a variety of disciplines that I, I enjoyed, I gradually directed myself into dressage. And while I had a, a, a nice average family-type horse, I appreciate how dressage made him look and feel above average to me. So um, while I was raising a family, I really had to think about what my goals would be. And I, I set some concrete goals, which was I'd, I'd like to confidently ride and train at the FEI levels. Um, I was not in a position to start with an FEI horse. So um, I was able to find a schoolmaster who was retired um, required a lot of care, a lot of maintenance, and I was able to ride him for a short time um, until he had to stop because of age. But um, it was almost like forming a blueprint for what I needed to do in the future. So um, that was very helpful to me. But there are other things that I did um, that I think were equally helpful and um it was, these are things that I pass along to a lot of my students who are passionate about what they do but have um, don't have a great opportunity for riding a lot of different horses. So um, a lot of the things that I did were, were volunteer-based. Um, I got involved in my group member organization, one of which was with Nita. Um, I did a lot of scribing. Um, I did a lot of grooming for, for competitors. I audited as many clinics as I could. I spent a lot of time 
in warm-up areas of competitions and watched and tried to understand what people were doing, why, what their horses were about, and get a deeper understanding of what I was looking at. And then perhaps one of the best things I ever did was I participated in the USDFL program. And um, while that is geared towards judging, I found that it also finally tuned my evaluating eye and helped me be more articulate in explaining what I was seeing. Um, but volunteering for all different types of activities is, is a really, really helpful way, whether you're scribing, scoring, just getting involved, um, I find is really, really helpful. And a lot of my students have, have begun to do that and have great stories to tell about what they've seen and what they've thought. And, um, it's, it's just been a real positive experience for all of them. So that's one of the things that I would I would say to um, riders or aspiring riders who have a limited availability of a horse to ride or a trained horse to learn on. Oh, I love um, that. Other and, things, yeah. No, I was just going to say I also participated in the L program. Um, I did it uh, in the instructor certification program. If there's one in your area, they always need riders. They always need people to help. Um, but the L program is phenomenal and really, really something uh, that I also encourage everyone around to do it because you do, you learn so much by that program just sitting in the, sitting in the sessions. So that I agree with you. That's wonderful. And And tell me, did you find, even though you're going into the program thinking about judging, I found from, from a writing standpoint, a training standpoint, a comp, a competitor standpoint, I, I, came out of it with so much more than I anticipated going in. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And it really is incredible what you, you know, I got it just from being a trainer, kind of taking off the trainer hat and and going to when we, when we go through tests and saying, nope, that's going to be a seven or nope, that's going to be a four. And this is why. Um, that was so very helpful for me. And then my students um, can understand, okay, you know, from a training perspective, uh, let's say that that stretchy circle has improved um, over time, but it's still not good enough for the test. You're still going to get a, a, a six and not the seven or eight that you want. Um, and this is why. So I think, you know, that was extremely helpful. And I also learned how to read the tests uh, better. You know, all the tests have directives on them. And I can't say, honestly, I'm embarrassed. So much free information right on that test sheet. Exactly. Understanding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd written a long, long time and not really looked at that. It's not in the USDF test book. By the way, everyone, you've got to get the USEF test. And and they have the directives literally right next to, you know, what's going to happen in the test. And, oh, that was so very helpful. So I agree. There's free information. Just read your test. Uh, Incredible. So I learned that. I picked that up at the judges more and learner judges program as well. Yeah, yeah. I do myself is I try to find trainers that are willing to let me just sit and watch and then ask questions. And you'd be surprised how many are really open to that. And it's, it's just a wonderful opportunity to just expand what your eyes are seeing. Um, sometimes if I'm visiting relatives um, in those part of the country, I try to go watch clinics in that area because it's a completely new group of horses and a completely new group of trainers. 
And I say the same thing to my students. If they're traveling, if there's anything going on, a show, a clinic, go watch. You know, the more you take in, the more you have. And um, I've just, you know, found that the, the more I participate at any level, it, it, it's a win. It's a real win. Um, I you- also try to get my students to read a lot. And one of the things I find very, very helpful to them are books that um, have exercises, gymnastic exercises are a favorite because they brought me understanding of how a movement can often be a combination of more basic ideas. You know, when you talk about a half-pass, some people look starry-eyed at you like, what is that? And, you know, you break it down into more simple concepts and elements, and all of a sudden it has real meaning. I love it. So, how, how about online? Have you? Uh, there's some also some great, great oh, online wonderful. sites now. Yeah. yeah. That weren't yeah, available. Yeah. yeah. USDF yeah, um, also has has an e-track that is available f- for members. It's a free service. Um, you, know, you just log on with your your uh, USDF number or USDF, excuse me, number. Uh, that's a great yeah. service as well. Yeah, and it's it, you know especially now with today's technology, it's amazing what you can see in videos online. I mean, how many people go to a competition and videotape a gold medal ride? And you get to see that, and you know the more you the more you see, the more you develop your standard and your eye and your understanding. So I mean, it's, technology has been a great advantage, and, and to be honest, it's something that I didn't have in my early years. I mean, really, for me, the computer is it's a lot more recent than it is for a lot of the young writers. But it's amazing what is available. You just have to click. <laughs> And yeah, so, no, you know, absolutely. We're, we're really, really lucky that way. But you can learn so much from all different parts of the sport. I mean, I've even enjoyed listening to some of the older judges who start with, like, in the cavalry. And years of experience in the development of dressage has given a real depth of the history. And most of these older judges are very generous with their time and their stories. Um, I like to, go, to have my students watch the young horse classes. A lot of those young horse classes with the judges at the end of the test explain why they scored what they did. That's a, that's a huge amount of knowledge. And it really, you know, gives a lot of information on biomechanics that can complete the picture when you're watching a, a more trained horse or when you're riding yourself and, you're, and your trainer says to you it needs more of this or less of that. The biomechanics take on more meaning when you have a lot of these really skilled judges explaining what they're looking for. Yeah, so, Claudia, those are wonderful tips. Yeah, no, those are super helpful for all of us. Thank you very, very much. How do we find you online? Oh, we have a website. It's turtlehollowfarm.com, and that's a link into our farm. We have a farm in Vero Beach, Florida, and it's just a nice, relaxed winter training facility, and then I have a small farm in Connecticut that little small is where I go during the warmer months and, and just chill out a little bit. But we have a, a great time down here in Vero Beach. We just started our season and um, we'll be here through May. Well, great. Thanks so much for being our NIDA trainer tip of the month. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in Florida. Okay. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Cut right there. That was great. Thank you very much. Great. That's perfect. It'll fit in really well with the sports psychologist. That's perfect. 
great. Okay, well, I had a great time. I've never done it before. I hope it works. Yeah, no. you We'll send you the link. It'll go live on Friday. Um, and please put it on Facebook, uh, you know, on your website, however you want to use it. We want more and more listeners is, is great. Okay, we'll do. Great. Well, thank, we'll have a great Thanksgiving. You have a great Thanksgiving. Okay, you too. It, thanks. And I'll Bye-bye. see you down there, Claudia. I'm heading down January okay. 2nd. Okay, great. All right, we'll see you. All right, bye. That's good. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, It's always good to have the trainer tips on here, and I think they're pretty popular. And uh, don't forget that uh, Jennifer also, Coach Jen, does them uh, or or replays them over on horsetipdaily.com. So she has over 700 tips gathered over there. So if you just want to hear tips, that's all you want to hear from every kind of expert in any kind of field. I think we've had over 150 experts over there. Uh, you can just go to Horse Tip Daily, and you just get the you just get the meat of it, and they're all about five, ten, fifteen minutes long. Plus, I want to mention to everybody as you're doing your holiday shopping, we have something new for you. We've been bugged about this for years. Uh, listeners have been bugging us, and we finally did it. We now have a merchandise store. The Horse Radio Network merchandise store is now open. You can go to hrnstore.com or find a link at dressageradio.com. Any of the websites has a link to it. Uh, and we, you can get uh, Horse Radio Network uh, with the logo with the cute little microphone horse. Uh, you can you can find hats and saddle pads and mugs and uh, all different shirts and all different kinds of things over there. That uh, for for that uh, person in your life who loves our shows, this would make a, an excellent gift. It's the first time that we've ever sold these, so uh, the, this is the first year you're guaranteed to not be getting something. Somebody you know they don't have it already. Uh, this is the first time. So head on over to HRN store.com or any of our websites has a link to it and you can find the Horse Radio Network of merchandise. I love it. I'm not going to have to do as much shopping now. That's right. <laughs> not as much Black Friday. Oh, it's great. I can't wait. Travis is definitely going to get one in his stocking. Well, now I wanted to mention too that we have we have some merchandise over there too for the Horses in the Morning show, which is like our most popular show on the network. And we're slowly going to be adding in as as uh, as time goes on all the other shows with merchandise for the Dressage Radio show. Uh, but we're going to be doing that over over a period of time. We just didn't we just didn't have the funding to do it all at once. So uh, that's that's what's going to be happening as far as the individual shows are concerned. But you can get that. Uh, everybody loves 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 the Horse Radio Network logo with the little microphone guy. Um, oh, it's perfect. Yeah. So so that's why we decided that we needed to bring out a product line with that. Love it. Love it. So excited. Everyone, go go buy it up. I love it. Well, this has been great. You have a terrific weekend. Uh, Philip will be back next week, right? Is he coming back? Absolutely, he will. And he 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 was sorry that he couldn't make it work tonight, uh, but but it was it was it was it was two against one on uh, going a little bit early this week. But I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and a safe travel weekend. And you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website at dressageradio.com. Follow us on Facebook. Just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. And we want to thank our sponsors today, Equestrian Collections, and also Charles Owen for being part of this. And don't forget to check out all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And if you want a little silliness every morning, you can hop on over to horsesinthemorning.com with Jamie Jennings and I. Uh, we, we just have a little fun there and talk about horses every morning, and it's our live show that we do. And uh, that's about it. 
I love it. Well, everyone also hit the hit the new merchandise. That's so exciting. And everyone, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.